You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Welcome to the 602 Club, Trek FM's local watering hole. I gotta tell you, these watered-down margaritas are not bad going with this Mexican food. And with me, as she is every single week, is the one and only... And they call you... What What do they call you? The crossbow Huntress. Killer? Huntress. Oh, oh, that's right. Oh, like you call yourself Huntress. No, that's what everybody calls me. Oh, okay. I must have missed that memo. My bad. Uh, um, so with Mother. me as she is every single week, Huntress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, sort of. It's Christy. It's me. But uh, I actually love to cosplay sometimes. And in the past, I have cosplayed as Huntress before. So we'll see if I do something from this movie now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so... We're talking about Birds of Prey and the fabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn, or as the movie has now been retitled uh, on a lot of movie websites, Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey. So either one, take your (laughs) pick. So um, before we dive into the movie, though, please find us wherever you get your podcasts. So we're over on Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, all the, I mean, just all the places. So make sure you're subscribed wherever you're getting your podcasts. If you are getting your podcasts through Apple Podcasts, give us a star rating review. Uh, it really helps people find the show. Uh, it does wonders for the show, honestly. And if you do give us a review, we'll read it out on the show, too. So we always like to say thank you for people doing that because of how much it actually helps us. You can find us on Twitter at TrekFM. We're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM, where there's also the listeners-only discussion group called the Babel Conference. You can find us on Trek.FM, and we've got the contact section there at Trek.FM, where you can send Christy and I an email. And last but not least, we really want to say a huge thank you to our associate producers here through Patreon, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Ryan Millette, and Daniel Noah. It is. It just. It, it costs a lot to put this network together here at Track FM. We have so much going on. There's no way the hosts here can afford to do that by themselves. And so, if you like what we do, help us out. Every little bit helps. Um, you can go to Patreon.com/slash Track FM. You can see what it takes to be part of the team. And again, um, every little bit helps. But we do have some great contribution levels that give you even extra perks. So that's pretty cool. And again, that's at Patreon dot com slash trek fm so this uh, you know this wasn't on the, the list christy but i you just mentioned you p- cosplay as mm-hmm. huntress and you have done that in the past um i was just kind of wondering you know um is are these birds of prey uh in the dc canon can kind of change you know like there are different characters that they can kind of it's a little bit like the suicide squad in, in the sense that like there's there's a core group of characters that you would expect to see, but they can kind of mix and match every once in a while. Right. But are these characters that you were familiar with, read their comics and were, you know, then kind of excited to see um, in a movie together? 
Yeah, I, I actually, I know it's not a super popular opinion among the comic book community, but I got into Birds of Prey in the DC Comics New 52. Um, oh, nice. Okay. And I really enjoyed it. Um, I, I've liked Harley Quinn since Batman the Animated Series. Yeah. I think if most we're gonna play, did. <laughs> right? And if we're going to play Six Degrees of Henry Gilroy, let's see. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> That's um, true. Our friend Henry Gilroy did, you know, write for Batman the Animated Series. So, yeah, exactly. that's so cool. And you know who also was a voice on Batman the Animated Series? Mark Hamill. Yes. as the voice of the Joker. the Joker. There you go. All sorts um, of Star Wars connections. Yeah. So anyway, sorry. Uh, I digress. I loved Harley Quinn from long ago from that um, and Batman, Joker, all of them, um, but really got into Huntress um, and Black Canary from reading the Birds of Prey comics and loved that Black Canary's main power was her voice and that people don't usually expect that kind of power um, and that Huntress used a crossbow because it was so different. I mean, it was like any of the mm-hmm. other girls usually had martial arts training of some kind or, you know, Harley with it's her weird crossbow. weapons. I'm not a 12 year old boy. Yeah. Anyway, um, so I, I was really excited, especially to see Huntress in the movie. Um, and, and I like that team up that they're all different and they don't always get along, but they have to work together. So my familiarity with with these characters isn't necessarily from. Uh, the the comics as much as I, I became really familiar with them through Arrow, you know, because they had the character mm-hmm. of Huntress on there. Obviously, we have Black Canary on the show. And um, I then kind of retroactively went back and read comics and then, um, you know, getting into um, more comics. Black Canary had her own comic for a, for a long while. Um, getting into the Green Arrow comic, of course, which Black Canary is very much a part of a lot of the time uh, because of their love story that happens. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. I and, you know, Suicide Squad with Harley Quinn, you know, she was a part of the Suicide Squad as well. So I've liked a lot of these characters. And, and of course, you know, you have Huntress come in and out of comics, and then you also end up with, like, Montoya being part of um, comics, especially if they're taking place in Gotham they they can mm-hmm. use her whenever they want so I was excited to you know be able to see all of these characters kind of come to life on the big screen as we've never seen them before I'm right there with you and I was going to add too because I was curious if you felt the same as me the only person that I kind of missed that I wished would have been part of this was Oracle because yeah. I love the whole thing with Barbara Gordon, a.k.a. Batgirl, um, who ends up becoming Oracle because of her accident with Joker. Um, so I, I think that that would have been a really great addition to the team. And then also getting to have differently abled people on the screen um, would have been interesting, I think. But, I mean, I still like the route that they went as far as which ones. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, because there's been talk in the DCEU of doing a Batgirl movie and everything, there's always the possibility that later on down the road, Birds of Prey as a, you know, um, a movie may involve that character in some way, shape or form. So it'll be interesting to see how they do that. I think the reason we don't get her is because we haven't even introduced Batgirl, Barbara Gordon style as True. you know a character yet so and this is definitely the i would say the origin story really uh in many ways uh for how the birds of prey come into being in, in the first place so like this is really their 
with with Harley Quinn um, giving us their introduction to this universe. Yeah, I think that it's a really great way to end up wrapping all of them into it. Um, because, I mean, they, they're figuring that people understand who Harley Quinn is, even if you haven't read the comics or seen Batman, the animated series, that you would have watched Suicide Squad or at least seen the previews for it. So you would be expecting this movie. Um, so I think that's really how they rope you in and then add all of these other layers to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, again, one of those things, that, you know, for comic book people, we know all these characters. But, you know, a character like Huntress or Montoya or even Cassandra Kane or, you know, Black Canary aren't as well known for those who aren't reading the comics, you know. And again, a lot of those characters that I just mentioned, too, are more well known now, just more in general, because people have been watching the DC TV shows, you know, like Arrow and Flash and seeing those Mm -hmm. characters pop up in in that universe. So they've definitely grown, but it's still, um, it it just goes to show you like how I think small the comic world is. I think we think it's so big because, you know, both you and I and so many people who like this stuff, we spend time at conventions and everything, but Mm -hmm the larger just mainline audience that's just going to a movie might not know those things. So yeah, it's interesting, like just seeing kind of where we were coming into this. Um, I wanted to ask you because this, this movie has a really interesting structure to it. And that structure is because we're telling the movie through Harley's point of view. So she is telling us the story which makes for kind of a disjointed structure because there are so many times where she'll forget something and she'll go back and tell you about it. So it really is like following and being inside uh, Harley Quinn's warped mind. <laughs> so mm-hmm. how did how did that end up working for you when you watched the movie? I think for the most part, it works well for me. It It did sometimes feel like there was too much expositional dialogue where I would rather them show me what they're trying to explain than constantly be like telling me a story with dialogue. Um, but I do think that it the style, it reminds me a lot of like zombie land style where they mm, would pause yeah. and have the, um, you know, number come up and say grievance number, whatever with this guy. Um, and the thing is the style makes sense if you're looking at it from Harley's point of view, which is what they want. Because she's forgetful. She's a little off her rocker. She's got she's done a, a, lot of a breakup happening. She, <laughs> yeah, probably that. <laughs> um, you know, like it, there's all these kinds of reasons why she would not be the greatest storyteller. <laughs> so I, I think it really works for when you're trying to tell it from her, mm-hmm. her mind. Yeah. And I think it kind of one of the things that helps kind of drive home is that as a character, she's pretty narcissistic. Mm -hmm. So kind of everything revolves around her. So as she's telling this story, she kind of forgets to let you in on certain areas. So she has to go back and start over at a a different point from a different perspective and try and give you that. And so I think what it does is it just makes it really fun because obviously, you know, this this movie is kind of coming. I mean, it, it legitimately is just her perspective on all of this. 
you know, and mm-hmm. and I think that makes it, you know, and because she's the biggest star here and everything, it makes sense to tell the movie that way. But I just think it works because it truly does feel like being inside Harley Quinn's mind. And everything's just a little bit rattled, you know, and you're going to have to go back and forth and kind of like chase you, you the, the way she would just chase rabbits, you know, um, and everything. I think it made for a really funny way to tell the story. And it just added to the comic book nature of it, too. Like you were talking about how you, know, you have these pop ups on the screen, which, you know, kind of um, go back to the structure of Suicide Squad had some of those mm-hmm. things too and so they're keeping the things that that worked and that, and that were well done while at the same time uh also refining it for this movie specifically and I, again i just think it they did a really good job with making it work for me um, because sometimes when you hop all over the place it can be frustrating but i think because the narrative conceit is that we're following Harley's point of view from the beginning. Like we, we understand that that's what we're doing. It works completely. And I did mean to ask you as well, if it made you feel at all, like it was rehashing constantly things you already knew, because my thing is it, it sometimes felt that way for me. It, as far as Harley telling what happened to her that got her to this point, because I already had that comic book and other movie awareness, but maybe I need to look at it from the point of view of someone that doesn't know her story. Yeah, I think um, for me, I didn't really have an issue with that, like feeling like I was getting too much. I, I felt like the things where they kind of let you back in to some of the things that had happened, like in Suicide Squad, um, made sense, you know, to kind of mm-hmm. refresh people. But also, if people had never even seen that movie, you know, they would have an idea um, of what Harley's life has been like. So I thought that was good. And and then I think, you know, those moments where we stop and then we talk about these other characters is definitely important for, for us understanding who they are, whether it's Montoya, Black Canary, uh, you know, Huntress, um, and, mm-hmm. and I think to a lesser extent, Cassandra Kane, who who's more kind of, she's a character in the movie, but I also think she's kind of, she turns into the MacGuffin of the movie, like that everybody's trying to, that the story's kind of revolving around, you know, as Harley calls mm-hmm. it. This is what we call in the storytelling a complication, you know? So like <laughs> she's the complication to all of their lives. Uh, and so, but yeah, I, I think it, again, it, to me, I was impressed with the way that they it worked. And I would say, too, the second time that I saw it, it worked even better just because you know what's coming. And I think that happens with a lot of movies where you, um, the first time you're kind of uh, absorbing the story and it's coming at you really fast. But the second time you're actually able to enjoy it more because you can just kind of marinate in the experience of it more mm-hmm. if that makes sense so i feel like yeah i was really glad i saw this the second time because it i enjoyed the movie uh and in the way that it was done even more the second time and i'm sure felt like i did that with the style of the filming itself that it was very comic book in theme yes like the the old batman show you know you would see the the bubble pop up that's like pow sack 
whatever. Um, it felt very much like a comic book page on the screen in front of you because things are over the top. But in comics, everything is over the top. Right. You know, every fight is like people are roller skating behind a car and then going whip me and you know <laughs> it's just how it is yeah i i think you know that's really something that i i liked about the movie too it, like you're saying is that you know it was not afraid to be like a comic book you know yeah and the kind of like you said crazy over the topness and part of that has to do with us being in harley's mind you mm -hmm. know, um, where we can actually do weird daydreams and all that kind of stuff. This kind of things, again, that you see in comic books. So, yeah, absolutely. Love that. Um, so, you know, bringing Harley Quinn back for this movie and and allowing her to kind of be our avatar that will introduce us to Birds of Prey. How did how did that all work for you? And how did the you know, where we start with Harley and where we kind of end with Harley end up working for you? First of all, I have to say, I don't think that we could have had a better actress play Harley Quinn. I'm totally team Margot yeah. Robbie. She became this character to a T. Everything that I previously loved about Harley and then especially with that accent. I don't know if you would say maybe it sounds like a Boston accent. Uh, I love the way she does that Mr. J mm -hmm. and you know, uh, and Margot Robbie does it so well and, and completely embodies that, um, like even slimy aspect of Harley that it, even though she's tied to a chair, she's still trying to make a deal and, uh, you know, always trying to save her own skin. I'm glad that you added Matt that it, she's very narcissistic because you don't at first see it. And then as the story develops, you're like, oh yeah, yeah. it's like, <laughs> it's all about how it affects her. So I, I think it was amazing. Um, I really enjoyed getting to see the way that she interacted with you and McGregor. I think that yeah. that back and forth of her thinking everything is a joke until he finally does call her bluff is awesome. Um, I think that, I don't know, like she just, she really does show you on screen what a woman must have gone through to have the kind of relationship she had with Joker and now trying to get over it. it first of all, trying to get over a breakup is hard. Second, <laughs> I like that she adds that it's especially hard when she had it made being known as yes. his girlfriend. Not anymore. So one of the things that I thought was really uh, smart to do with the character was if if you want to kind of create an arc for her is that they go all the way back to the beginning and they show the creation of Harley Quinn as a person first mm -hmm. you know we we show her what caused her to be this way and and what do we see we see an abusive father who you know is trying to get rid of her for beer you know like and so and he gives her away finally to some nuns who, you know, she goes to, to the classic, uh, you know, cl Catholic school and um, she rebels against all of that. She finds a way to make herself successful. 
Uh, but at the same time, she's always looking for love in all the wrong places. You know, mm-hmm. she ends up, you know, dating men. She dates women. Like, n- everybody's breaking her heart until she finds this, you know, she falls in love with her patient. She falls in love with the Joker. And, you know, you kind of see the progression of this person just wants to be known and loved so much that she's willing to do whatever it took to to feel like she was loved. But what we kind of see in that love is like, it's that obsessive, compulsive love of like Anakin Skywalker and, you know, Padme. It's not true love. It's, it's the, it's, it's the... There, there's nothing truly real to it because it's 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 just people using people, you know. And so, and we see that because as soon as you know she's not worth it to him anymore, they break up, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I think I really appreciated this giving that context to her, and I also appreciated that we're going to move Harley to like a less awful place as a person. But we're still not going to change the fact that, I mean, she's just kind of rotten. And right. she's less rotten, but she's still kind of rotten and she's still kind of narcissistic and she's still pretty much out for herself. And um, But they're, they're, she has developed in some ways a code that she's starting to follow, which is like that there are people that she's not going to screw over. Um. And mm-hmm. this is the kind of like that transition in the comics where, you know, uh, we see these days Harley Quinn kind of being a part of the Suicide Squad and being a slightly more redeemable character. Uh, so I just thought that was interesting that the movie does that, too. And yeah, she's I just love it. And I think you're right. Margot Robbie kind of plays all facets of that so well that I buy it completely like i buy why people would be attracted to her and then i buy why people can kind of get repulsed by her at the same time it's it's really mm-hmm. good but i'm glad too that you mentioned that it's about love for her because of how it started from her childhood that she unfortunately is the um representation of a lot of kids that have gone through a really difficult childhood and Mm -hmm. are still searching for someone to love them. Um, And even just as a friend, you know, I feel like you feel so bad for Harley because she has no one she can trust. And, and especially when she loses uh, doc Mm -hmm. from the Taiwanese restaurant you can tell that that really, really gets to her because she's like, I thought that he was the one person I could always count on at this point, and now I can't yeah. even count on him. No, I totally agree. And and again, I think that's one of the things that, you know, we, we kind of see, um, you know, she makes that speech about that we've, we you know, you've even seen in the trailers about what a Harley Quinn is, right? And mm-hmm. that Harley Quinn's role is to serve and 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 to to be a servant to people um and that nobody really cares about you as a, a person and that's what we kind of see is that harley longs for somebody to see her as more than something to be used mm-hmm. and yet she's not necessarily going she's not necessarily in a place where she's ever going to trust somebody at this point to actually do that so i think that that's 
again, that makes for a really fascinating character uh, in the movie. And it, and it gives you an opportunity to do what they do in the movie, which is to move her from a place where she's just completely rotten to being mm-hmm. somewhat rotten, right? So, um, right. yeah. Well, I, like you I, see her code because she's not walking in the precinct just straight up killing everyone. She's right. shooting them with beanbags and glitter. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, she's hurting <laughs> people for sure. You yeah. know, um, but they're all and, still and, alive. Yeah, they are also alive. And and what I thought was interesting too is that the amount of violence that she does against the police officers was a hundred percent different than the amount of violence she does against the mercenaries that are after her. That's um, true. Which I thought was very interesting as well. So yeah, um, maybe that's because the mercenaries can't send her to jail. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but yeah, I thought that was fascinating to me. So you know, you're a huge Huntress fan. What did you think of uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Huntress in the movie? She was awesome. I My one little tweak would be that I, I felt like at sometimes the writers made her character a little too much of the butt of the joke. Not that it wasn't funny, but I think just as a person who already loved Huntress, I didn't want her to be the joke. She's the tough one. She's the one who's really, really been through some real trauma you know, much more than just the emotional, she was standing there watching her family get shot in front of her. So I could completely understand why she would never, ever trust anybody, have anger issues and want revenge on the entire world. I wouldn't think she would be the butt of the joke. But anyway, uh, I think that they got past that. And I'm really glad that they ended up showing her using the crossbow because that is characteristic of Huntress. It's her thing. She's always got her crossbow. Mm-hmm. Um, she always wears black and purple. Um, I would have liked to see her wear the pointed mask like they had her wear in the comics because that is also very Huntress, but it's okay that she didn't. Um, although they did pay homage at one point to her mm-hmm. bodysuit with the white cross in the middle. Yeah, and they pay homage to those glasses uh, when she like pulls open the goggles and it looks like it kind of makes the the pointed um at the very end which you know this is one again this is uh an origin story for for those characters and so for them not to quite be in the costume that we're accustomed to in the uh comics to me made sense you know with you know it and that's where the fun of like hopefully getting them in another movie would allow us to see that. I, to me, she is my favorite character in the movie. I just thought she was so funny. And I really responded to her being the butt of the joke, but it being because she has been somebody who's been through all of these things, you know, watching her family just mowed down in front of her, being raised by assassins. Like, she's never had a normal life since, like, the age of eight. And so the fact that she is socially awkward and has all of these rage issues just makes complete sense. And so the way they played that with her, I thought that Winstead did such a great job of that. Um, The whole scene where they're like joining forces and she's just like, sure. Like (laughs) she's so uncomfortable with people. And yet at the same time, like you can see by the end of movie, she's really starting to respond to being with people like, um, and so I, this is one of those, again, I'm, I really would love 
to see these characters again together because I'd love to see how they grow, you know, because by the end, yeah. they're the, the birds of prey working together, you know, as a crime fighting unit. Uh, and so I, I, she just, again, and the when she's like yelling about, you know, like, it's not a bow and arrow, it's a crossbow, I'm not a 12-year-old boy, you know, like, mm-hmm. those kind of things. I just, she pulls it off so, like, effortlessly, but it's just so funny. Like, her timing is amazing. Uh, so, and when she kills that dude <laughs> in the slide, she and she comes out and, like, swishes her hair over Harley's like, you are so cool. And I was just like, mm-hmm. that, yeah, she is. She is so cool. And she doesn't actually even know it. So, yeah, I loved it. Yeah, that's absolutely a thing Harley would say about it, too. Watching somebody kill somebody like that and being like, yeah. you're awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it maybe even um, helps people identify a little bit more with Huntress, I think, in illustrating her origin story in this movie. I think that it's it's something that resonated with me because I understand what it might feel like if you had been through that kind of thing. Um, Obviously it didn't happen to me. I'm not saying that. (laughs) Well, that's good. Yeah. Um, But you know, just how that must make her feel um, and how difficult it would be after all of that to live a somewhat normal life again. I mean, I like that they bring it up to Huntress in the movie. Well, you've killed them all now. What are you going to do? And she honestly didn't have an answer because she'd reached her goal that she had been working on since she was eight. Well, and, and it, yeah, and, and that's where, you know, at the end where they turn themselves into a crime fighting unit is makes so much sense, you know, that they would, especially her that she would take all this money that she's gotten back now that she's got her family fortune back Mm -hmm. and the fact that um she has all this training um for her to then go out and protect other people just makes so much sense so i i really i really liked that about her and again i just loved her as the character she just was one of my favorite parts and so dinah lance black canary played by Jerry Smollett Bell. How did you feel that she, you know, pulls off this, which is, you know, now a pretty iconic role since we've seen a couple of black uh, canaries in Arrow. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so what did you think? I thought the actress was good. I think that the issue was that the writing gave her the short end of the stick. I mean, you don't get to see her really as part of the team until later in the movie. And she doesn't use her powers at all until the end of the movie. And I was really waiting for Black Canary to have her shining moment to scream. And then you get it one time and then you're done. And I'm like, I mean, I guess if you're going to try to build it up to get to that point, um, you know, that that's eventually the climax of her story. Maybe that's what they were going for. But I was a little disappointed that you didn't get more Black Canary and more of her powers. Yeah, it was really interesting with her because, you know, the movie with a conversation she has with Montoya, we learned that her mother was a Black Canary and had the same power. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was fascinating. Uh, kind of made me wonder, was this a Black Canary who possibly worked with Ben Affleck's Batman back in the day? And then she was killed 
you know, and maybe that's one of the things that on top of Robin's death in, in this universe that caused Batman to kind of go out the deep end, you know, like, so it just, it like added some depth to this universe since we're in Gotham, you know? Um, and so I thought that was really cool. I thought the actress was doing very well in, in, as, as Black Canary. I loved her cry, the way it looked, you know, everything was perfect there. Mm-hmm. I kind of wish she had been able to use it more than just once, but it also made sense to me that what they were doing with that character is that she's really just a character who wants to hide. You know, she she wants to have no voice. She just wants to live her life as quietly as possible and make enough money to survive. Um, and then she just finds that she can't, right? Like she can't not do the right thing, which is kind of a fun thing to see about a character, like to have that characteristic of, no, I must act, you know? And you could see like, she would even have the frustration of like, son of a, why can't I just not, why can't I just let this go? Why can't I just walk away from this? And then she couldn't. And, you know, she would either be working to save, uh, you know, Harley or somebody else. And so, um, I think what they did is the effective job of showing like what her true heart is, you know, mm-hmm. and why she was different than somebody like Harley, which was smart, too. Because um, you need one of these characters to kind of truly set themselves apart from Harley. Um, and she's one of the characters and how they play her out, I think, with her arc that they were able to do that. Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that because it, that is especially something you always see about Dinah is that that goodness in her heart Mm -hmm. is what drives her and that you know at the end of the day she does have that goal to save people and make the world a better place um so i'm I'm glad that you added that maybe that was where they were going with having her character portrayed the way it was in the movie that she she would want to hide and not be in the spotlight and not necessarily get involved in anything but that desire within her to help people is what drives her to act Mm-hmm. Well, and specifically, too, like when we know the history of her, again, this is a lot about history with family, mm-hmm. right? And so when we get the history with her family here, we see exactly why she would want that. Because her mom died in the street and nobody came to help her. You know, yeah. and why and would so you she's want like, that why life? should I? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I thought, yeah, she did a really good job. And I'm, I'm with you. I kind of wish there had been time to have more. But I, this is also one of those things where I don't think it's a bad idea to leave people wanting more either. Right. And I had to comment, too, on the casting, because typically from the comics, Black Canary was a white woman with blonde hair. So going with a different actress of a different race, I thought was a good move, because I think that they kind of show you, to me, something I never thought of Black Canary as being, that it's a title and that anybody could possibly become Black Canary. That's what the way it kind of came across to me. But, I mean, she does have the same name and everything, so... Yeah, and, and I mean, you know, there are certain characters where I just, I, I feel like it, you know, you can do that. And I, they picked, the best part about it is that they just picked a good actress. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's one of the things about, a majority of these characters it's it's about picking somebody that can kind of embody the character 
And she was able to embody the arc that she needed to in such a way that I think really just legitimizes why we have her playing this role. And that by the end, she is somebody who would become that black canary that we're all so used to in the comics in the sense of like her code and who she is and, um, you know, why she does what she does. And so I thought that was great. Man, I got to say, I don't know about you, but I feel like Rosie Perez was perfect as as Renee Montoya. Yeah, she she definitely gives me the vibes of that classic, uh, all of the like cop tropes you've seen in mm-hmm. every detective movie ever. It's like, give me your badge and your gun. All right, sir. Not that it means anything anymore. You know, and then it's even having her be the person that it goes home and is alone and drinking. It It's yep. kind of just some things that you see a lot as cops portrayed on camera. Um, But I think that she was so good at showing that this character cares more than just about being a cop, that she has to find something to care about anymore. And that she does. And, and she even says to Harley, I have to admit I was wrong about you. And I mean, that's a big jump to make from being following the letter of the law to now you're quit your job. Well, actually you got laid off technically and then decided not to go back and then became friends with one of the criminals you were trying to put in jail. Yeah. I I think what was interesting was, and they make fun of this, but the idea of like no cop gets anything done until they, you know, get suspended. And, you know, I, I think like you said, we do see a cop here who is clearly devoted to their job does it really well, has gotten no um, backup from anybody, and has constantly uh, gotten taken advantage of in the sense that her victories have been taken away from her and, you know, um, put on somebody else. And yet she continually pursues to do the right thing. And so uh, even if nobody else will, and I think, you know, in many ways that's the epitome of what it means to be a hero is to do the right thing regardless, you know? And so, and, you know, we we talked all the way back in uh, Frozen 2, you know, you just do the next right thing. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what Montoya is trying to do. She's just trying to do the next right thing. And people keep putting up barriers to her being able to do that. And so, um, and I think she embodied the character just so perfectly in the sense of the, the frustration the cynical nature of who she is now the the kind of uh, the person you can tell is a little bit too in love with their alcohol at this point because that's their way of like dealing with the pain um mm-hmm. i th- i thought that she just did such a good job of of emoting all of those feelings and she doesn't have a ton of screen time but every moment that she's on screen she gives you exactly what you need for that character. So I, I really thought that they cast perfectly for the role. And did you think that they gave her a perfect t-shirt to wear for most of the movie? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've never asked that myself that question. So I, yeah, um, I did it think it was an interesting yeah. thing to do. Yeah. It made me laugh. Yeah, no. And it, well, and what was funny is that it just, it fit with her like screw you mentality 
So yeah, yeah. So it was yeah, it was really funny. We talked about the fact that we have Cassandra Kane in the movie, and you know, in the comics, she turns into orphan in the Bat family. Um, you know, here she is a, a a kid who's growing up in the foster system, and she's a pickpocket, and she's the one who ends up lifting the diamond out of. Zaz's pocket and then end up swallowing it so that everybody wants her. Um, what did you think of, of her in the movie? And especially since, too, she gets to have that relationship with Harley. I have to give major credit to the actress because I believed her every minute that she was a great pickpocket. She did that little twirl when she would grab mm-hmm. something from somebody so perfectly. Uh, and she really was great at playing the attitude of a kid who's just dealt with terrible foster parents and no one caring about her and not having any money and then having to figure out how to get through life. And she's like, well, this is better than nothing. So she becomes a pickpocket. I mean, you totally believe it. And the fact that she has a broken arm, I guess, the entire movie, I do feel a little bad for her, but she makes it work. Um, But yeah, I, I think that the character, although like you were saying earlier, could be a little bit, of a an insertion in the story to move it along. She was the complication. I didn't like it suspended my disbelief enough to still go along with it. Um, and I thought it was especially funny that they have her swallow the diamond because I mean, if you're a kid and you're trying to keep someone from taking something from you, I think a lot of kids would do that. Yeah. I, I think the, the thing that I really liked about her is the character is the way in which She's able to connect with Harley on that level. Oh, yes. And the fact that they they have this connection, that they're characters who both feel mistreated in many ways and overlooked, um, it, it was really cool. But also the way to which Harley, by hanging out with Cassandra, begins to see people in general in a, in a different light, you know, that, that maybe treating somebody like you would want to be treated is a good way to live. Maybe that people aren't just things to be used, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 and Cassandra helps kind of open her mind to the idea that, that we, she could possibly live a different way. And maybe it's not just about being you know, loved by somebody. Maybe it's about showing a little love to somebody um, and true love. Yeah. And that's kind of what we see is like, you know, Cassandra is the reason that Harley for the first time in her life puts her life on the line for somebody other than herself. Really true. Well, or the Joker before now, but um, well, that's true. And I mean, you know, she, she does a little bit of that in, in suicide squad, but I mean, she doesn't really have too much of a choice because her head could get blown off. So you right. know, here, though, it really becomes about her decision to help this kid because it's the it's kind of the right thing to do, you know? Right. Like, it's like Harley finally sees, well, this is a kid. Like, it's not just a another adult mm-hmm. that's trying to use me. Maybe she actually needs my help because she's too naive about the yeah. ways of the world yet. And so I like that that pulls the mercy part of Harley and then also, neither one of them have ever ever had a sibling. 
so they get to feel what it might be like to have a sister. Yep. And I I love that whole moment, even though maybe some people might find it cheesy. For me, um, having a younger sister as well, I feel that strong bond between them when they're sitting there painting each other's nails and talking yeah. about her hyena. <laughs> yeah, it. I mean, I think the way the character works, obviously, it's not quite as much about her as it is about her relationship with Harley, but I think mm-hmm. she does everything she needs to do in the movie so well, and it was so much fun. The interaction that they have was great, and so we we do have two main villains in the movie, and, and one is, I, I, I want to talk about the, the biggest one last, but man, I thought that Chris Messina as Zaz was just so perfectly creepy like in every way that he can be creepy he totally is and it was awesome because like this there's nothing you like about this guy he just he makes your skin crawl and it's perfect yeah i have to say for sure with the scar marks that he later explains uh, are a mark for every person he's killed is an interesting thing about a character, you know, sort of like tattoos, but he's doing scar tattoos and it makes him more creepy because you're seeing how many of them there are all over him. Um, And then having him have like one gold tooth, having him be sort of the um, therapist as well as henchman for black mask. Um, He, and then, and then just especially having him cut, people's faces off i think really pushes it over the top for you about how creepy and disgusting he is and and then the rest of the time if that didn't do it for you the way that he talks i i love this actor i have to say he took my attention from watching the mindy project but i never thought i'd see him in a role like this and i think this really shows what he can do like you mentioned like even just the way his his facial expressions, his like movements, the way that he talks to, to the different characters. It like, this is the thing. Like there's this weird pseudo sexual creepiness about every single thing that he does that makes it even worse. (laughs) Right. And I think again, it's just, it's what made him so good in this role. So I, I really, I think they did a perfect casting here and him playing off of you and McGregor, who's Roman Sionis black mask. I mean, McGregor is having the best time in this movie. Like he is oh, yeah. having an absolute blast. And I love that every time you see you and McGregor in something, it's like you're seeing only the character. I love when an actor can get completely become a role. We've seen him as Obi-Wan Kenobi. And then now here he is playing someone completely the opposite, playing Black Mask. And you believe it. He He's so great at being this, on the one hand, really tough, awful villain. And then being the crying baby because someone betrayed him and having, you know, uh, Zaz have to talk him down. I thought was so funny. And it's very much kind of reminds me of Joker in a lot of ways, but he still gets to like wear these fancy suits and sort of getting to play that double personality of, oh, I'm just a club owner, but in reality, I'm doing this. Yeah, he was incredible. The way that he plays the ultimate narcissist, 
mm-hmm. the way that he plays the ultimate boy child who never grew up. Like who who just like when he is going on about these are my things. Who's who's you know, like who these are my things, you know, like and he just <laughs> right. starts yelling the F word like a child might, you know, throwing a tantrum. You know, it it was super scary because then you would see this other side of him when he's completely in control and he's like making people do weird things like dance on a table and take off their dress or like when he has um the uh the golden lions uh head honcho and his wife and his daughter all of them has their faces like ripped off mm-hmm. you know like he is the most sadistic evil character i've seen in comics like he just is utterly creepy in in a way that because he's getting so much of a enjoyment and a thrill out of killing people in these ways mm-hmm. it's it's Oh, disgusting it, it was chilling it yes and at the same time like you said you mcgregor just kind of melts into this character and creates somebody that is has a life all on of its own and he is I, and i think him and margot robbie are the same way in this movie that they're they're just having such a good time with the material that they bring you along with them and and yeah he is great he's just He's one of the highlights of the movie for sure. So, especially when he talks about his little shrunken heads. <laughs> oh gosh! Ew! Yeah, I love. He's like they're like a thousand years old, and now they're just this hanging in my living room. Ew! Like it's, <laughs> right. He's so. Oh, he's just so weird. It's great. Yeah. You know, one of the things that stuck out to me in this movie was really fascinating because the, the movie is about the way that people deal with each other. And that this is really what life is like when we see people as nothing but a commodity where they're only there to give you what you want. And then once they've lost their value to you, you discard them. And that like everybody has a price. And obviously, you know, we see that play out with Sionis um, but we also see it with Harley and with Doc, right? And I thought mm-hmm. that was fascinating that we can see it in all of these different characters and that really this is like, it's kind of classic Gotham, right? Like everybody's out for themselves, even the people who th- you think are going to be good, like Doc. And I just, I really liked that this movie is a, a in many ways about this is what happens in a society when people are only there for themselves and truly everybody is just there to be used by you as long as you get what you want from them. Right. I mean, it it's shown over and over again in this movie that going that route is only going to cause you to end up alone and feeling like you can't ever trust anyone. And it, that's no way to live Especially it it really, like I said, it hit me with Harley and Doc more than anyone because he doesn't exhibit any kind of traits that would make you think he would sell her out. I mean, when she first walks in and you see him talking to her and Cassandra, you immediately get that rapport that he and Harley have with each other that even though they don't know each other that well, that he gives, gives her a nickname and lets her live upstairs and, you know, 
always knows what she wants to order. Like he's just a really nice guy. And so you just would think that he's the kind of person if offered money to sell out someone that you're letting do all those things would just say absolutely not her life is priceless, but he doesn't. And I think that it really illustrates too everything that Harley went through all over again with her father that, you know, he had his price. So I think that it's really at the end of the day, trying to say that you need to appreciate people and realize Mm -hmm. that they're not just there for whatever you need. Well, and, and are, are we going to be a society that lives as though that everybody has a price and that, that people don't matter more than things. You right. Know, like, cause everybody here is after a thing, you know? And so, um, you know, what's really more important. And I, I like that, you know, we kind of get down to that in this movie and then our main characters make the, that decision, you know, that, that people are worth sacrificing for because people matter. You know, all people matter, yeah. but here it's about, you know, these, these people come together and, and realizing that, yeah, this is, this is not right what we're doing to each other and we need to do something different. And I think that also plays into, you know, this movie, uh, obvious in many ways, this is a, a movie about women and the way that men, you know, mistreat women. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that this movie is the ultimate girl power movie because it shows that these women aren't saints. They have us their their own their own flaws, and that they're also willing to use one another. And so, this ability to show that like it's not just it's not just about men mistreating women. Sometimes it's about the way women treat women. Um, yeah. And it's it's it goes back to the fact that the the biggest problem is, is that men and women are using each other as commodities and not treating each other as people that ha- are in need of and deserve dignity and respect. Right. And, and I'm glad you added that, that it, it is about how people treat each other badly and that ultimately that's what we need to work on. Because, I mean, they show Harley driving off with Black Canary's car. And at that point in the story, you're thinking, oh, she's never going to do that. Please. Did you forget who Harley Quinn was? (laughs) So, yeah, I I like that aspect of it, too. And, you know, I think it's important to say that although there is we've come a long way in society in general and how women are treated and women's rights and everything um, that there's always still people that don't understand. And I I think that there are times that this movie, it kind of feels like they push it a little too much for me, but overall I do think you're right, Matt, that they mostly put it in in a subtle way and in a way to show men possibly what women go through and that, you know, women like what, what Harley's been through She's been mistreated by her father in a romantic relationship, in her friendships. Like, it's not just in a romantic relationship. It's all mm-hmm. of these other things in her life. 
Yeah, I, I really appreciate that. And I think to me, the thing that stuck out was the subtlety of things is that they let the story speak for itself mm-hmm. and that they did the story in a way that you didn't have to have somebody come out and say things. It It's just evident from the story that's being told. We're yeah. seeing it happen. And, and in movies, it's so much more powerful to have things shown, not told. Yeah. You know, uh, and and so, so the fact that we just get to see it play out, I think it's really powerful. And, and to me, that's the thing that, that really stuck with me is that, yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, there's still many times and too many times where these things still happen um, with women and mm-hmm. to women. Um, and at the same time, there are, is the same problem that it's a universal human problem to mistreat each other um yeah and so those two messages actually i think go together really well so um this movie obviously has a ton of needle drops what did you think of the tunes uh i thought they were pretty good which is funny because i felt sometimes with the other dc movies like the music didn't necessarily match up to the scenes they were adding it to but with this one it felt right on point i mean I think specifically with the the genres that they were trying to go with, with the the timing that this was set in, I think it was really great. And I I would love to know if you liked it or felt like some of them were a little out of place or not. No, I felt like, I mean, again, this is very akin to what they did in Suicide Squad. And so I thought all of the music worked pretty well uh, for the most part, you know, you know, I'm sure that there will be people who just absolutely adore the soundtrack and want to buy it and everything for, uh, you know, the one that's, that's full of all these pop songs. Mm-hmm. Um, but the ones that I liked the most were um, Jokes on You. And I loved um, the It's a Man's World from um, Journey uh, Smollett Bell. I thought her version of that was just gorgeous. Like, oh, so, that's true. Yeah, you know that really uh, stood out to me. Yeah, yeah. So those those are some things where I just felt like the music was really, really well done, really, really well chosen. So I'm, um, yeah, I liked it. And I'm interested to hear the actual score soundtrack when it comes out. Uh, as of this recording, it comes out on Friday. So I'll be interested to hear what that sounds like, isolated from everything else. Um, mm-hmm. So this movie. It hasn't been doing as well. Um, and I saw that the WB, uh, it, that Warner Brothers was renaming it on, um, like on Fandango and stuff, just calling it Harley Quinn Birds of Prey. Uh, do you think that that will make any difference for whether or not, you know, people go to see it over the next weekend? I'm kind of worried that it might. I mean, unfortunately, we live in a time where people check the Rotten Tomatoes score before they go see a movie at all. But uh, I hope that maybe because of the interest in Suicide Squad and hopefully an, a renewed interest in comic books, that it'll cause people to still go see the movie. And I think that definitely, if purely for Margot Robbie and Ewan McGregor, people need to see it. I really... I. I was impressed. Well, and I just, it's, uh, it's unfathomable to me in many ways that this is not getting more play because I mean, the movie is got a good Rotten Tomatoes score, 
You know, what's interesting mm-hmm. is that the critics and the audience score the same, basically. 80%. That's a great score at the movies. Which is weird, because then other sources I saw were saying, oh, it's having an abysmal time at the box office. I'm like, well, yeah. 80% is it? But Yeah. Um, you know, it's just not making a, as much money, and so... I guess that makes me want to ask you, then, what is your rating for, you know, this movie? And would you tell people to go see it? I would tell people to go see it. Ironically, I actually did that at lunch today at work. <laughs> um, I I will say I, I had a few objections here and there. I, I do felt like, I did feel like the scene where they have black mask face off against the birds of prey that it was a little too much juxtaposition of gender to me to where if you pay attention it's all men on his side and all women on harley's side and i just think that even from what we see in comics and comic book movies in the past that it's always a mixture of the two that there's bad men and bad women just like there are good men and good women um so that was a little bit over the top for me if they're trying to push the gender agenda. Um, but I think that it, overall I enjoyed it. And I think that especially the lead characters, I loved Margot Robbie and Ewan McGregor. I loved especially Chris playing Zaz. Um, and I, I, I had a good time and didn't necessarily expect to because I didn't love Suicide Squad. So I would give this a, say, a 7 out of 10 glitter guns. Nice. I I really enjoyed this movie, and I think the moment I felt like I was really going to enjoy it, or knew I was going to, is when Harley gave the world an explosive status update. Oh, yes. Which <laughs> Blowing was, up the chemical yeah, plant. <laughs> which is very funny. And yeah, I just, I had a good time in this movie. Um, I thought it was really fun. I thought it was really well done. It's, I mean, the action sequences I thought were great. The fight scenes were excellent. Ooh, true. You know, so um, all of that worked for me. And I, I mean, I'm right there with you. I'd say, you know, I gave this four out of five stars on Letterboxd. So I'm definitely recommending that people see it. It was, it was really a fun movie. Um, I guess it did make me want to ask you this question. I meant to ask you this earlier, but I forgot. Do you think it needed to be rated R? I do purely because of two reasons, the face cutting and yeah. the language. I, I wonder if possibly they could have helped themselves by not having this rated R so that more teenagers could basically, you know, that they could see it. Yeah. And um if they hurt themselves because of that where you know like whereas the the Joker and Deadpool are very uh they're established characters. Um very established from a very long time. Mm-hmm. And so whereas the Birds of Prey is not quite as established in that sense. And so making an R-rated version of that, that you automatically have like cut out a portion of the audience that would possibly go see this because they they can't. 
And so yeah. I just, I wonder if that's the case. I don't have a problem with the movie being rated R. Um, the the violence in it, you know, was uh, over the top in many areas. But, you know, violence in a movie is always fake. Uh, mm-hmm. The hardest part to watch was the face peeling scene. That was utterly, like, that's Game of Thrones style violence right there. It was super creepy. You mean the knee breaking scene didn't oh, bother you? <laughs> that just yeah, that was a little bit funny, actually. Just that the, hurt the way they're playing with it. And oh man, when she throws that bat at the dude and it rebounds and she's able to catch it, it was just brilliant. Yeah. Like so, yeah. There's so there's so much about this movie that I just really enjoyed. Again, I saw it twice, and I I highly yeah I recommend it to anyone. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, go see it. Bring some friends. Have a good time. You know, I think you will. But um, before we get out of here, Chrissy, what are you going to recommend to everybody this week in our recommendation section? I've got a really interesting one this week, and I found it by accident scrolling through Netflix. Uh, and then my husband and I decided to start, start watching it. Uh, it's Lock and Key on Netflix. Oh, yeah. How is that? It's cool. It's it's really um, like a, a mystery about... Um, this family called the Locke family, L-O-C-K-E, and they have this ancestral home that's this huge house. Um, I think it's in like upstate Washington somewhere because it's definitely cold and I think they refer to it like they're they're going to Seattle. But anyway, um, so they go, they move back to their ancestral home after the father is killed. And uh, in a pretty brutal way, um, the older son sees it happen. And then they have to figure out how to move forward with their lives now that there's this big hole in their relationship. Um, and things just start happening to them. The house, um, mm. it's not its not like horror or anything like that. But it's just, you know, sort of like reminds me of Harry Potter. Like there's all these weird things about mm. the house and these keys. And so that's why it's called lock and key. I highly recommend it. It's really good. That's cool. I saw that. And uh, so uh, on Netflix and I wondered how that was. So that's cool to see. It's good. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. Um, I'm going to recommend, I don't know if I recommended this uh, already, but if I did, oh, well, uh, but I just rewatched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, which won some Oscars. Um, Brad Pitt specifically uh, won for uh, Best Supporting Actor at the Oscars this year. And man, that movie is just, it is so good. And I just highly recommend anybody watch it. It is excellent. Uh, it is Tarantino at the top of his game. And mm-hmm. there, I would I would call it Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio's best roles. I mean, they're just so good. So it's, I highly encourage anybody to check it out. It, it's totally worth it. Um, but Christy, uh, if anybody wants to catch up with you and, and just see what you are doing in between episodes of the 602 Club, where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Bespin Bell. And then, of course, I'll be in the Babel, Babel Conference. Uh, and then when I'm not on the 602 Club, I also do a show with my friend Teresa called Sabers and Spells, which is on the Skywalking Through Neverland Network called Skynet. Uh, and we have been on a break again. Um, unfortunately, Teresa had to have shoulder surgery. So um, let's all send her good vibes and um, hope that we'll be back next week. Um, 
then I'm also on a show called Planet Leia, which is about six women from around the world talking about Star Wars from their point of view on the Fanthatrax network once a month. And then lastly, I do a segment called Fashion in Five about men's and women's Star Wars fashion in five minutes on the Star Wars Report. And you could find me on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vero, under the name MattRushing02. Uh, I do The Orb here with Chris Jones on the network as we talk about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. When we get a chance, we record that show. Uh, you could find me on the Nerd Party Network. I do two shows. One is called Owl Post. Doing that with Ray Kaufman as we talk about Harry Potter each and every week, one chapter at a time. Uh, you can also find me doing aggressive negotiations with my friend John Mills as we're talking about Star Wars every week. It's a, f- it's really fun. So if you like Star Wars, definitely the show to check out. And then last but not least, my friend Courtney and I talk about films through the lens of faith on Cinema Stories. But thank you so much for joining us. Bye, Puddin. Thank you.